and welcome to the Moonshine Jesus Show. We are brought to you, as always, by ProgressiveChristianity.org, a wonderful place to get all of your progressive Christian resources. We hope you will follow them on social media and us on Facebook, and you'll subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Today, we're talking about Hunger Games, Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, and we have to warn you, if you have not seen that yet, we're going to spoil it for you. Both because we take great joy in spoiling things. <laughs> Absolutely. And because we really want to dig into it and talk oh, about yeah. all the theology and politics and have fun geeking out about it and all that good stuff. So I am joined, as always, by my good friend, Mark Samlin. How are you doing today, Mark? I am doing great, man. I'm looking forward to this. this is, uh, I think this will be a very fun movie to be talking about. Absolutely, I think it will. And it'll be even more fun if we're yes. drinking some alcohol as we're Absolutely. talking about it. So, Mark, Absolutely. what have you got today? Well, I went with a drink that's called a smoking gun, which there are reasons within mm -hmm. the movie. Mm -hmm. One of the main big things is a smoking gun that has uh -huh. a role twice in the movie. And it yep. is made of uh, bourbon, scotch, Sweet vermouth, uh, a dash of blood orange bitters, and then it's trimmed with an orange that has uh, cloves on it that are lit. Hence the look at that part of the smoking gun. So that's what I went with. What did you go with for your drink for today's show, man? Well, you know, Mark, that looks delicious, and I can almost smell it no, from here. It does, it does <laughs> smell amazing. Those, those smoking cloves with the orange coming off, it really is kind of nice. It's also sort of seasonal, so it kind of works for yeah. the Thanksgiving Christmas smell. I like that. Yeah, it's working well. I Where'd love you that. Go that with sounds this? really good. Okay, so I decided to do something around the theme of Coriolanus snow. So I've okay. done love a it. take on a snow martini with white rum, blue curacao, and pineapple cream of coconut. But look at this. It has, um, has black and white sprinkles in it. They're in oh, equal wait. amounts. But it has gone through the whole drink and turned the whole drink black, much like Snow's soul over the course of <laughs> the course this of movie. The but you can't see this, but at the top, there are little white snowflakes from the sprinkles at the top of the glass nice. as we see glimpses of snow's purity maybe and fading so away. And it's in a lovely. champagne flute lovely. in honor of the capital. Uh, so I, I feel like I should be drinking it out of a, a fancy serving. Absolutely. Bottle. Something fancy for sure. Cheers, sir. Cheers. See you after the break. Mm. Jesus. Back to the Moonshine Jesus show. You're joining us for our geek out segment, a uh, segment in whence we try to not geek out too much. That's actually not true at all. We geek out <laughs> to our very core. We have as much fun as we can talking about the show. Uh, and we're going to try to keep it brief. We want to get on to the Theopolitico uh, perspectives that this movie 
holds, and it certainly holds a lot. But first, for those who may not be familiar, we're talking about The Hunger Games. It's the prequel, Ballad of the Songbird and Snakes. And uh, so here's sort of the setup. Years before he becomes the authoritative president of Panem, 18-year-old Cornelius uh, Colonelanus Snow is obsessed with restoring his family's lost wealth. And with a 10th annual Hunger Games fast approaching, he and other students are vying for this prestigious financial award upon graduation. But they only they end up learning that the award now would uh, it's award it being awarded would be based on their uh, mentoring abilities. With one of the participants of the Hunger Games, the Snow is assigned to mentor Lucy Gray from District 12. And both of them sort of begin capitalizing on their gifts for showmanship and political savvy. Uh, And they start struggling to come out on top of the games as they also struggle with uh, uh, navigating their own developing relationships. So, um, Caleb, I'm curious, how how familiar were you with the Hunger Games in general, the movies, the books? Were you familiar with either or both of those so whenever the first Hunger Games movie came out, my yeah. now wife had read the books and she was super into it. And so we yeah. went to the movie. And so I saw probably the first two movies. I, I saw the last one that Philip Seymour Hoffman was in when he was alive. Uh, yeah. And so I saw those, but I just saw them in theaters maybe once uh, since they had been in theaters and no. I hadn't read any of the books. So I would say I had kind of a passing familiarity with Hunger Games right. to the point that I went in this, you know, I like to go into the movies not knowing very much, knowing as sure. little yeah, as yeah, I yeah. can. And so it had been long enough, Mark, since I had seen any Hunger Games movies that I was wondering, now exactly who was Coriolanus Snow? <laughs> what was his role? Right. <laughs> was 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 he the mentor? Was he the Philip Seymour Hoffman character? And then I realized as we went on, like, no, that's not right. He was he was the president. And yeah. so one of the things that that really kind of allowed me to do was to enter into it and go on the journey, not knowing mm. where it was going to end, uh, as as more than casual fans would go in knowing exactly what was going to happen to snow. Okay. Well, I was very familiar. Uh, I watched the first movie immediately got hooked on the whole storyline, decided Mm -hmm. I was going to read the books, read the books, loved them. Absolutely loved Mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. Watched all four of the true prequel uh, or not prequel, all of the trilogy movies, the four Mm -hmm. that's confusing, isn't it? It's four trilogy movies, but they broke up the last one one into two. two. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I absolutely love them. I did not read the prequel book. So I was kind of coming into this story, not fully aware of what was going on. But obviously, the yeah. moment that they named Snow, I was like, oh, well, this is going to be interesting, uh, knowing that mm-hmm. he would become this sort of dictator of of the entire land, pre- president right. in name, but he wasn't really elected. He he was uh, it, yeah. he was put put in a, a place of power. So uh, we're 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 going to keep our focus here on geeking out and not run too long. So I sort of want to jump 
towards the end of the movie in most of our yeah. discussion here because that's kind of where things start coming together and it gets really really uh different and interesting and there's so much going on there so i'm curious one of the things that happens is as we watch snow go from a somewhat sympathetic character trying to bring uh, money and power back to his family um we start to see him down going down a path that's a little more questionable and and you mm-hmm. start seeing some of his tendencies coming out and one of yep. those tendencies the reason i'm drinking a, a, a drink called a smoking gun is he he takes a gun and shoots yep. one of the governor's daughter in the back and then he asks someone to go get rid of that gun and later we see him uh and, and lucy gray in a cabin and Mm -hmm. opens up the floor and he sees the gun that he had used and they were running Mm -hmm. because they knew that gun could be used to uh point directly at him which would be the end of everything for him um yeah i'm curious when he first saw that gun what do you think he was thinking I think he was thinking he was going to turn around and shoot Lucy Gray. I was surprised yeah. that it didn't happen immediately by, uh, by that point. Um, because yeah. I think his he had so devolved uh, so quickly uh, that I think he had already made up his mind about what he was going to do if he ever found that gun. Uh, so so that whenever I saw him look at that and yeah. put it up to his shoulder... Yeah. I, I I thought he was turned around the shooter uh, <laughs> immediately. What what do you think was going to happen? What do you I, think was going through his mind? I, I thought I guess I was still buying into him having not made the turn fully yet. Uh, yeah. At, at that moment, I still did. It, it changed yeah. pretty quickly for me. But at that very first moment when he saw the gun, I thought that he was probably thinking, "Okay, we don't have to run away," because I think. Mm-hmm. For me, part of the setup, what's going on is that he is the kind of personification of love of country. Mm-hmm. And she's sort of the personification of love of real freedom. And so it's interesting to see them in relationship. And he's finally running away to, quote, real freedom, away from uh-huh. love of country with her. Yeah. And for me, at least for a moment, I thought he's thinking, okay. We don't have to run away. Uh, whether or not she would mm-hmm. buy into his w- w- need and willingness to not do that, um, that's different. And I, but I think that she was definitely thinking what you were thinking, right? He's, he's, oh yeah, she was clearly like, nervous when she saw that gun in his hand, and, and it's pouring rain outside, and she's like, ah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go get some Katniss, which we already had established wasn't in season right. quite yet. And it's pouring rain. Uh, and, and he says, you know, it's, 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 you're not in season. It's raining out there. And, and she says, what was it? She said, uh, I'm, not I'm not sugar, of, darling. I'm, I'm not, I'm not sugar. Yeah. Darling. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There was something about that moment, that exchange yeah. between them for me. I was like, Oh, everything has changed here. It just changed. Yeah. 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 There because, was a tonal shift. Yeah. Yeah. He, she goes outside and you can kind of watch him almost wondering, is she really going to get more or is she going? Cause I think maybe she's leaving. Um, and I think that was that moment. And the moment that I knew, yes, it is 100% changed is when he went to look for her and he took the gun because he didn't need yes. a gun to look for her. 
No. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. He he had determined what he was going to do <laughs> to her yeah. at that moment. Right. Because 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 they also had that exchange in the cabin about uh, the loose ends. And yeah. he, you know, he said, now all the loose ends will be tied up. And uh, but one me. Right. And uh, have been, yeah. yeah. And Absolutely. I think if I think if he hadn't decided, I I kind of feel like he decided when he realized she could be a loose end. That she could be a loose end. That's it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. d- does that mean when he goes out, he looks for her, he can't find her, but he does find his mother's scarf that he gave to her. I'm taking it, and tell me if I'm wrong, if, if this is true, that you believe she put the snake in the the scarf that he found, and the snake bites him. That's yeah, that's my take on it, especially since we saw her with that same snake earlier, whenever they were out together, and she right, was that's, kind of that same kind of snake. snake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, but she would have known it wasn't poisonous, right? Because she seemed to be familiar with it. I don't think she. Why do you to think she him. did it? Yeah, I don't what think was, she wanted to kill him because because she is because she still has the good in her as she you know as they have right. this great discourse about. But uh, I don't think she wanted to kill him. I don't think she ever wanted to kill anybody. Um, yeah. But I I think she wanted the distraction so she could get away. I think it was okay. it was there kind of to draw his attention. And you know, and it, it works, right? He picks it right. up, he gets bit by the snake, he's down there kind of stunned, and right. she tries to run away, but he sees her and shoots at her. Right. Well, you see, I think yeah, I think that that it wasn't to get away. Mm-hmm. I think because of a line that she said when he first came yeah. to find her after he went back to District 12, he steps uh-huh. on a branch and she kind of startles and uh-huh. she says. Do you remember what she says? She says, I, 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 I'm sorry. I, I still feel like I have one foot in the game or something mm. very similar. Yeah. That. One foot yeah, yeah. is still okay. one. Yeah. I feel like one. And I feel like that's exactly what was going on here, but on a different level, mm. that she still had one foot in the game and that she was trying to determine if she could trust him because she mm. had also said, trust when it comes to love is the most important thing to me. And yeah. I think she knew it wasn't poisonous. She put it yeah. in the scarf and wanted to see how he reacted. Ah. So she would know whether that full trust had been lost or not. Does he get angry and come after me? Does yeah. he Does he cry or does he say, hey, what are you doing? I feel like yeah. that was her test. I think that was the end of everything right there. That It was like the big test. Mm. So if he had put the guns in the water... And he had just gone out and looked for her and yeah. had 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 been there like, what are you doing? You you feel like maybe they could have still had a relationship and they could have run well, away together. And, I, I like, think she would have been willing after. to at least continue investigating. And the, I think this was yeah. the moment everything started happening. I think she got worried. She mm-hmm. went out. She mm-hmm. said, here's my little twist. I've got one foot in the game. We're still playing the game. I'm going to find out. Is he trustworthy? Is he yeah, does he, does he trust our relationship? Does he trust me? And his reaction to that would have told her. I, that's kind of where I see. I don't. I don't know. That's a good so, take. That's a good take. I like. That. What do you think? Do you think she's still alive? I do think she's still alive. I think if for no other reason, and granted, I haven't read the books. I don't. I don't know what's yeah. going to happen. But um, I. I feel like 
she is someone who both humanized Snow and helped make right. us care about Snow, helped make him a sympathetic character. And then when he turned on her, helped us to feel kind of the, the great emotional weight of that. So if for no other reason, I think having her in a sequel helps us to, to uh, really get the <laughs> impact of how much Snow has turned. And it, yeah. it maybe serves to humanize him a little bit more. What do you think? Do you think she's still alive or you think he got her? I, I think she's still alive. And, uh, and I think yeah. we see things play out in um, the rest of the trilogy that, that this is the prequel to that tip the hat uh, that she's still around. Like mm -hmm. the, the way that, um, that um, Katniss sings the hanging tree. And, uh -huh. and that's a song uh -huh. that Lucy Gray wrote. She I think there's a little yeah. tip of the hat that suggests that she's still around. Maybe she's still hiding, mm -hmm. but parts of who she is affect everything that's going on. I got one more question I want to slip in before yes. we wrap this segment up. There were a lot of deaths in this movie. A lot, a lot of people yep. died. Mm -hmm. What death hit you the hardest? You know, I think whenever... Lucy Gray's fellow District 12 uh, mm. guy was there. He had gotten rabies, and he uh, yeah. and he was coming after her. I think that, in some ways, that was, you know, un unavoidable. Uh, you know, he had gotten this the sickness, but it also, yeah. I think, spoke to what happened in the games that that mm. this person who she had been close to was turning on her and it wasn't yeah. just because of the hunger games but i think it was that space that facilitated it and to to see that her have to wrestle with that um was uh that was uh emotionally charged i think yeah, uh, so that that one hit me hard how, how about for you what one was the hardest for the you? one that hit me, the one that really hit me was yeah. high bottom uh peter dinklage's mm. character mm -hmm. uh yeah in that like he helped create these hunger games but it yeah. was Snow's dad who kind of stole the idea yeah, and made it go. Right. And yeah. Dinklage kind of clearly, uh, Highbottom regretted the whole thing, uh, yeah. became this half of a shell of who he was because he was taking the, what would they, what do they call it? It wasn't morphine, but it was a word like morphine uh, that he drinks. It was like morphine or something. Morphine or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was, but it was it was the alcohol of the day, but in little yeah. tiny vials. Yeah. Uh, and that he clearly regretted his life was wrecked over it. Yeah. And that... Mm -hmm. That it just oh that Snow knew that he would take that morphine that it was he knew he did he, he poisoned poison. it just yeah. like he did for me that would hit hard yeah. I was like man that's mm. the one character that I really wanted to see redeemed I, I really mm. desperately wanted mm. him to have yeah. even the tiniest taste of some kind of redemption in this and instead yeah. Snow Snow kills him I just yep it's like wow that's some serious storytelling anyway. We yeah. could keep geeking out about all of this, uh, and oh, I'd yeah. love to. I'd absolutely love to. But we really do. Let's get on to talking about some of the more serious stuff, some of the Theo Politico um, topics and subjects that, that this uh, movie really strongly pointed to. So let's have a quick break and come back on the other side with our Theo Politico segment. <laughs>
welcome back to the Moonshine Jesus Show, where we are talking about the new Hunger Games movie, and we are moving into our Theopolitico segment. So, Mark, one of the things I want to talk about is something I think that is pretty important to faith, but not yep. something I think we've talked about much on okay. the Moonshine Jesus Show, but it's something that I think was very present in this movie, and that's the power of song. So, mm -hmm. Lucy Gray, it comes from... Uh, Romana type people who have been gathered up just as the Romana people were, uh, especially in the Second World War, and yep. uh, and uh, are oppressed. And in some ways, they tell their narrative through song, and those uh, narratives are kind of taken away. And so the power of singing uh, is uh, a way of reclaiming identity and stuff. Tell mm -hmm. me, Mark, a little bit about what... What role do you think music and song play both in in theology and maybe even in politics? Yeah, I, I mean, I can't understate or I can't overstate how much I think song communicates to us in a way that actual just words itself can't communicate to us. Um Everything from the psalms themselves, which were you know songs written for lyric frequently, to uh, the songs that we sing in church, it, they they touch us and move us in a deeper way than than words are ever going to be able to do that. Uh, it also, in a lot of ways, can be so. There's that emotional part where it can move us in, in all of these emotional ways, but also there's this kind of beauty to a song. Song seems so innocent, and uh, you can plant powerful ideas within mm -hmm. lyrics that can move us and, and touch us where if you just said them out loud, they would seem more dangerous, but they also wouldn't move you quite as deeply. And so we see uh, throughout um, all kinds of, for spiritually, you can put difficult theological ideas in that, although we don't do that nearly enough and use it to move us in powerful ways. But I think in politics, it's, it may be even more powerful where we see um, movements who are, are like, let's just talk about the sit-in movement in general, mm -hmm. uh, a civil rights movement. The songs played such an important and essential role in communicating what was going on and getting people uh, engaged and excited and, and having uh, this deep understanding that this is possible. We can make this happen. And it, it creates community as you sing those songs together. It knits people together in a way that, that, that a speech alone could, could never do. So I, I think music is one of the most powerful things that we have, both uh, to do positive healing and emotional uh, in-depth work, but also to motivate us and make us connect with what really matters in life. I, I, I would ramble on and on about music if, if you let me, but we probably shouldn't do that. But I just think it's, it's incredible, and I, I can't overstate how important it is to me. I think that's a great point because uh, so Lucy Gray in the in the show she uses music as a tool to motivate uh, to galvanize uh, you know everyone kind of in favor of yeah. her she uses it as an emotional tool and they recognize very quickly the power that it has and certainly I, I think of like say protest music we shall not be moved we shall overcome mm -hmm. things that are not tied necessarily to a particular faith tradition, but unite people across all kinds of uh, economic groups, faith groups. Yeah, all to, to um, just create kind of an atmosphere, which makes me wonder, Mark, since it 
does have such an emotive kind of power and uh, it can have theological significance. One of the struggles often in churches is the fact that even say in more progressive spaces, we want to have a more progressive theology, but we also often have music that conveys uh, a different kind of theology yeah. than uh, what the what the church might might profess. Uh, what do you make of that, Mark? Is that good? Yeah. Is it is it dangerous? <laughs> is it what uh, what should we do about that? Well, I don't think it's good at all. Uh, matter of fact, at our church, we don't sing those old hymns uh, just because of the theology. Sometimes we do, but. If we do, it's because we've gone in and we've rewritten um, parts of the verses to match up with better theology. So I think one of the things we have to do is focus on um, creating more music that actually promotes positive theology, theology that comes closer to the teachings of Jesus and not so much. You get a lot of theology light in hymns. You also get a lot of bad theology, Mark, uh, Onward Christian Soldiers, the black mm -hmm. there's so much theology that really we've moved beyond theologically in terms of scholastics but we still keep them in our songs it just in part points to how powerful those songs are that we're willing to overlook the bad theology just so we can be uh, emotionally keyed in and moved by the songs but i think we've got a lot of work to do i think that that's got to change uh my homiletics professor used to say that until there was mu until there is music, the spirit doesn't arrive. As a matter of fact, we would have to sing a spiritual before every class, before we even started talking about how do you use words. We use mm -hmm. music first, and I think that points to how important the words in the music really is, and that we should stop overlooking it and dismissing it because we love the old hymns so much and figure out new ways to utilize those old hymns, rewrite them, use the music, uh, and move forward with better better, uh, better equipped songs theologically. What are, you, what are your thoughts on those old songs? Yeah, that's a great point, because I think this is something that a lot of churches spend a lot of time thinking about and talking about, yeah. is how sure. it is that we make the music to which we are emotionally tied, because... Yeah. A lot of times people, at least people in the pews, are emotionally tied to certain songs. How it is that we utilize that emotional uh, tie or meet that emotional need while also having music that reflects our values. And I, I think it, yeah. I think it is, it's kind of a struggle. You know, you, I, I think there are great, uh, you know, modern pieces that you can put in. And I think taking songs as you've mentioned and rewriting pieces of them so that they fit a more inclusive yeah. theology a more authentic faith uh, progressive theology is important because you know I, I think if you claim to be a more progressive church that has to come across everywhere in your service and right. it's also something that can be really hard to do so i i would love to talk more about music because i think it is such yeah. an important part of this and also an important part of our faith but i also want to talk about some of the other theopolitical things in yeah, this movie sure. because there are <clears throat> such a lot <throat> of them and so one of the things that uh is said in the movie is that people aren't so bad and lucy gray is saying this it's what the world does to us uh it's either lucy gray or tigress who says this uh people right. aren't so bad it's what the world does to us but it's our lives work. It's our life's work to stay on the right side of that line. 
Um, what do you think about that theology, Mark? Um, is it that it, people people aren't so bad, but the, the world makes people bad? Or are there some people who inherently kind of have evil within them? Why, mm-hmm. why is there evil in the world, Mark? What's your right. theodicy? Yeah. Well, I, you know... <clears throat> I don't, I, I'm not real big on making blanket statements about uh, humanity mm-hmm. is good, humanity is bad. We, we are a mixed mm-hmm. bag of everything. When you look at all our other aspects and ratios, then that we're so many different things. So I think we need to be wise enough to apply that to being good and being bad. What I will say, though, um, I, I don't call people evil. Uh, I'm not willing to do that. Um, but I am certainly willing to call systems evil. So I, I don't think it's the world. I think if the world had been left alone by uh, human greed, which is part of what this, you know, uh, what the Hunger Games is about, is to point to, to the dangers of human greed and to the dangers of mm-hmm. how greed and lack of trust can can destroy love. Um, if, if the world were left to its own, I don't think we would have these issues. It's it's our our need to pursue greed and power where we create systems that are evil. And those systems, and I think it's a big message of the Hunger Games, does push people to be something other than what they might have otherwise been. It does encourage them to uh, believe that they are more important, more powerful, more deserving than other folks. It's certainly one of the things Snow felt his entire life, clearly, at least uh, from mm-hmm an early teen uh, to what we see of him at age 18 is that he feels like he's more deserving in some way and that he deserves mm-hmm. to be elevated and created better. And I think it's the systems that that do that. We see that as a young child, he was just trying to survive. He was in a horrible world where his, his life was falling apart and his family was falling apart. But the system that he existed in created situations and, um, achievements if you do this Mm -hmm. you can pull yourself out and the things that it was requiring of him really created him as an evil like to to do evil things not an evil person but where it was necessary to do evil things i don't know am i over reading Mm -hmm. or reading too much into it no i think you're right i think that a lot of times the systems in our world this the experiences that we have form us. In some ways, we are a product of our experiences and a a product of what our our situations are like, right? And some people grow up in situations or live in situations where you know, their choices are limited or, or that yeah. they have bad examples uh, of how people ought to behave. And they, they copy that. I mean, psychologically, we know that we sure. imitate, you know, the, the, the things that are taught to us. And so I think that in a lot of ways, it is the, uh, the environments around us that create whether uh, we are interacting with the world in a positive way or whether we are interacting with it in a harmful way. And so I I agree that it's not quite so simple to say people are always good or always bad, or even that people who do horrible things are all bad. But but certainly that there are um, experiences in our lives that make us uh, behave better or worse. So one of the other things that we see really made manifest in this movie. And I just want yeah. to put the last question in here, Mark, yeah, is, uh, is, uh, is poverty. I mean, we see poverty uh, both in the midst of the war and then we see it in the districts and even in the capital, right? Yeah. Uh, the Snow family is living in poverty. 
And I'm thinking about when the tributes are in the zoo and they bring and the mentors bring food. And one of the mentors is kind of playing with the food. Uh, you know, she's got this bottle oh, yeah. of, of, that she's going to uh, kind of uh, torment the tribute with. And Lucy Gray torn, turns to Coriolanus and says, hunger is a weapon. Um, and so, Mark, I'm curious both what you make of that, uh, if hunger is a weapon, and if we see any examples of hunger being weaponized anywhere in our world today. Hunger is definitely a weapon, in that poverty is a weapon. And the reality is, uh, we know that there is more than enough food for everyone. It isn't, mm -hmm. a, 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 it isn't a question of do we have enough, it is a question of are we willing to share? Are we willing mm -hmm. to make any kind of sacrifice to create systems that distribute? So, yeah, anytime that there's poverty, you have to recognize that there, there is some weaponization that's happening there, whether it's intentional or not. A lot of times it's just pure uh, uncaring uh, ignorance of I don't I've got mine and everybody else, you know, what whatever they need to do. But I think in an America in particular. Uh, poverty and hunger is weaponized. Uh, it is designed, our systems are definitely designed to keep people in the places that they're in and not just keep them in the places that they're in, but to struggle in those spaces, to have, mm -hmm. to put too much time into, can I just get through this day so that you're not able to resist those with power who are creating these systems that are stepping on everyone. And as part of what we see in this hunger game, it also creates a false sense of a lack of resources where you end up competing with each other, which is what they're forced into in the Hunger Games. And so, yeah, it, it is both a, a, a weapon and it is it is a way to control people for sure and to distract them, to, to maintain power. Those are great points, Mark. I mean, I think, too, about the Israel-Palestine conflict and the oh, ways we 100%. see food food lines being, uh, you know, food mm -hmm. supplies being uh, bombed and destroyed right. so that, you know, innocent civilians uh, starve as a, a tool for war. I think that's a, a great evil in our world. I think about environmental racism and the ways that we deny particularly communities of color access to good nutritious food and where it's yeah, only say oh yeah look look at food deserts look at yeah. food deserts and uh, overlap it with uh, mm -hmm. maps of where of uh, different race populations tend to live and it is eye-opening it, yeah, absolutely clear that it's communities of color that don't have yeah. access to good, healthy, nutritious food, and it's mm -hmm. done intentionally. I also think, to piggyback on your point, when I spent some time uh, in seminary working for Bread for the World, and one of the things mm -hmm. that we would say is that, yes, there is plenty of food in the world. We just have to share it, and that's not a partisan issue. That is a moral issue. And anyone mm -hmm. who tries to make that into a partisan issue is just someone who is, uh, I think, behaving in a very unethical manner. And if Christians buy into that, that's that's deeply problematic. Hey, I've got a lot of other theopolitical oh. things I want to talk about, but we're over time and we've got to get <laughs> to our make me look stupid segment, because if we don't have a chance to try to make each other look stupid, it just wouldn't be the moonshine Jesus <laughs> So right. let's let's have a quick break, grab another drink, and come back for Make Me Look Stupid.
Hello, welcome back to the Moonshine Jesus Show. You are joining us for our Make Me Look Stupid segment where, uh, you know, sometimes we try to make each other look stupid and sometimes we just ask a general point of curiosity so that the other person can show us how stupid we are for not knowing the answer to that question. Um, <laughs> and before we uh, dig into this, I do want to point out, you know, this is all about a very ridiculous scenario that we've got a movie here that's ultimately uh, in a series of movies, ultimately about some like fraudulent rich guy who uh, needs reality television to become rich, famous, and the president, and that would never happen in the real world. So Thank God just, nothing just like know, that would ever happen. Just know that we recognize how ridiculous the whole situation and set up is for this. Uh, I have a simple question, and it isn't to make you look yeah. stupid. It's a real point of curiosity. We both yeah. have come to an agreement that we do believe that uh, Lucy Gray survived and mm -hmm. went on. Yeah. Are, is there any any chance that Lucy Gray, because we see a lot of relations in this. We see uh, yeah. uh, um, the announcer is, is his, some relative of his is remains the announcer many years down the road. We see, uh -huh. so we see all of these different folks who have relatives. Is there any chance that Lucy Gray ends up being related to Katniss? I mean, she talks I about this particular route and she's like, Oh, I like to call it Katniss. Isn't that a better name? I mean, do you think? Yeah, I, I that was exactly what I thought as she said that, as she said, they call these swamp potatoes, but I like to call them cat, <laughs> Katniss. Right. Hit, right. Hit, wink, wink. Uh, right. <laughs> uh, there's going to be there's going to be a, a descendant down the line that's going to play an important role here. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's exactly what I thought. But who? Who do you think? Do you think Snow is involved in any way? Do you think? Uh, it, do you think she's also a descendant of of Snow? Or or do I don't think, think so. I don't think, think so. Matter of fact, someone else. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I don't think so. I mean, I I, yeah. I don't. Yeah. I, and I'm not even a hundred percent sure that yeah. Lucy Gray is going to be directly associated with Katniss. Like. Hmm. There were a lot of things that happened that was clearly yeah. trying to connect the two. There's even this sarcastic bow that uh, yeah. that that Lucy yeah, Gray takes. Like, this ex that's exactly like the yeah. one that, uh -huh. that Katniss takes. So I think they're intentionally trying to show that there's some, something going on here. I think yeah. ultimately that Lucy Gray is the inspiration in part for Katniss. That's why she knows the song. Mm -hmm. I think they that that someone who is a descendant of Lucy Gray held on to some of the stuff about Lucy Gray and exposed Katniss to it. Okay. But yeah. I don't know that, that they're actually like directly related, but I think they're related in spirit, if that makes sense. That would be my take on it. I like that. I like that. Yeah. I, I'll be interested to see in in future yeah. movies. If they in make them, I don't think they've announced. Well, there's, there, there's no book yet. There's no follow-up book. So okay. I think that, that we would wait for there to be a, another prequel book or some book about it and, and i wouldn't be surprised if that happens but we're gonna have to wait well i wouldn't either because it's years. already made it's already made money so i'm sure they'll put yeah, that on the fast fine. track yeah. there <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. okay so my question for you mark is um we see snow go through a variety of changes over the course of the movie yeah i'm curious was snow really like devolving uh because of the experiences that he had uh yeah. throughout the movie or was like 
the kindness, the genuineness. Was that all just an act all along just to climb the social ladder? So, so my point is this. Uh, is, is he actually a product of what happens in the movie? Or was he really the same guy all along and was just kind of playing a part? I think he was playing a part, frankly, uh, because in part, I felt like the turn in his character was almost too abrupt. Like if I if I bought that he was this kind, gentle person, then how quickly he became a harsh killer and was perfectly fine with it. To me, that, that doesn't make any sense in terms of in general how humans operate. So I, I think that he he was in a system that that created and, and probably saw his what he little he knew of his father it was enough to know that he was a brutal military leader and that he wanted to be a bit of that he was in a difficult situation where he knew he had to do whatever it took to survive mm-hmm. i definitely think i do think i do think that lucy gray and her kindness towards him was beginning to influence him a little bit but by the end of it i we see him basically say being in love and having a loving relationship is a weakness and that that defines the rest of his life but i think he was already predisposed to kind of be that person I, I, that that's what i think anyway what yeah you think anything similar or did you think that it was a genuine turn and that he really was trying to be kind so uh as i said i went into the movie not remembering much about the sure. kind of mythology uh, and the world right. building that had happened here and so as I was watching at the beginning, I bought into it, but noticed, you know, as soon as he went to the school that he he put on a different facade. Sure. And yeah. and so and so that was that was kind of uh startling at first. And well, you sort of know movie, you sort of know there's a fakeness to him of some sort. There, yeah, right. Point. Yes, yeah. absolutely. But uh, so but I bought into at first that okay, that's what he needs to do to to take care of his family and stuff but as the movie went on and i saw i saw more of his character i thought oh no it was all an act to everybody including right. to his family he doesn't care about anybody except Elena snow and he is always just doing what is the best for him and i think yeah. that that's that's what was happening all along yeah. and so i thought that was actually powerful to 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 see that and to to see those roles that he was playing one thing that i think may have helped uh with all of that is if say part three of this movie had had been the start of a new movie like if if parts one and two had been this movie and if it had ended with him on the train to district 12 uh, yeah. And uh, we ended this movie there and started the next movie with yeah. him on that train. I think that would have helped his character arc. A I think that I think that was necessary. I think they should have done that. I, I think that there was a whole lot more that needed to be extrapolated in both his character and Lucy Gray's character in the third part of this. That that it could have easily justified a full movie on its own and own and would have made us more interested in their characters and more interested in their development. And I think we could have learned a lot more about Lucy Gray and what was really going with her. That was one of my big disappointments is I think that they unfortunately left too much of her as a mystery. And I get mm-hmm. why they did part of it. But as a character, I would I felt like it was time for her to be revealed a little bit more. And we, we weren't able to get any of that. And that was a little bit of a disappointment. 
Yep. Uh, so listen, we could go on and on, but we uh, we we really are uh, mo- moving well beyond what the length that we usually go on on these shows. But that's okay. It's just such a fascinating and interesting mm-hmm. story yep. to kind of pick apart and talk about. But we do need to decide what we're going to uh, talk about next week. So that's curious. Uh, I, I might have an idea or two, but have you thought of anything that you think we should be uh, looking at? Okay, Mark. So I have just finished watching season two of Loki, and I know we're both big Marvel fans, and oh Loki God. is Loki's... a really fun show. Oh, uh, what do you yes. think? Season two of Loki? Let's you do that. Let, absolutely. It's probably one of my favorite seasons of any Marvel show. It's great. So I would Fantastic. love yeah. for us to okay. talk a little bit about it. All right, so that is the plan. Next week, folks, we will be doing uh, Loki Season 2. It finished a couple of weeks ago, so you've got uh, no excuse to not be caught up and to be with us, ready on the live show to, to, to listen to our thoughts and take on it. Uh, but also, just thank you. Thank you for being here. I, I'm never going to not thank you for uh, allowing us to do this show. And, and it's, it's all of you listeners that make this something we get to do. And we are just so... Mm-hmm grateful for the opportunity i know i know caleb is as well so uh until next time thanks for watching the moonshine jesus show moonshine.